This morning I'm here to, um, to challenge you with a lesson from God's Word and to say something that will help you to stay faithful to Him. That's my task. That's our task as preachers and Bible class teachers and elders to, to speak the Word of God even if it's not popular. And I say from time to time that I never intend to say anything that would hurt you and my motive is pure. Uh, so if I say something that is, is offensive to you, uh, I'm, I'm doing so in the interest of your soul and in my obligation to speak the Word of God. And I trust, though, that the lesson will be well received. We live in a world where denominationalism, the idea of different groups and factions, is almost universally accepted, it's endorsed, it's even encouraged. And the practice of these churches teaching conflicting and contradicting doctrines doesn't seem to bother anybody. Uh, they seem to think that God is glorified by all the divisions and the various groups that are teaching different doctrines. Well, when you look at the Bible, it presents a different picture of Christianity. It reveals a church that is non-denominational and committed to, committed to unity and truth. And I believe, brethren, that we live in a time when many of our institutional brethren, brethren have already slipped in their mindset into denominational thinking. Many brethren within institutional churches have now considered themselves full-blown denominations in many ways. And I'm convinced, and know firsthand, as you probably do as well, that we have some brethren within conservative, more faithful congregations who have left the Lord's church to go into denominations. Now, 30 years ago, I left denominations. I left the Catholic church, become a, just a born-again Christian in God's church to preach and practice New Testament Christianity. And I'm certainly not going to go back to when I came out of, but it's amazing to me. And the other thing I do in my line of work, I have a business in roofing and remodeling, and I'm seeing people in their homes, and I'm finding more and more people who were raised within the Lord's Church, within Church of the Christ, who are now actively involved in various denominations. Many of them are preaching. Some of them are preaching in these denominations. And I'm not here to offend anybody, but I want us to understand the consequences of denominationalism from a biblical perspective and understand, in particular, what it does to Jesus Christ. I'm convinced, and you probably are too, that if, if people would think about what they're teaching, and this whole process and thought process of splintering into various denominations and religious groups, teaching conflicting doctrines, if they would think about that, they would abandon that teaching. That's not scriptural. That's not biblical. But obviously, people do not think that way, and so because of that, uh, denominational thinking flourishes and people continue to, to head in that direction. So this morning I want to talk about something, in my opinion, that is very relevant and urgent uh, to, to help preserve the unity of this church here, the purity of this congregation. And in doing so, we'll take a look at what denominationalism really does to Jesus Christ and, and look at some of the consequences of that. And so let's look at some of these points this morning. These are not original with me. You've probably heard some of these points on various occasions or perhaps in articles. But if we'll think about what denominationalism does to Jesus Christ, it should uh, stop people from continuing in that direction. The first point I want to suggest to each of us this morning is to suggest that denominationalism mocks Jesus' prayer for unity. Notice in John chapter 17 with me, in verses 20, perhaps down to about verse 23, this is Jesus' Uh, what we sometimes call the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And this is what he prays for his disciples, his followers. He said, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but uh, for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, 
even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them, even as you have loved me. A lot of points that we make over here, but the point I'm making is that Jesus prayed fervently. He prayed fervently that his disciples and followers would be perfectly united together for a couple of reasons. Number one, so that the world would believe that God the Father sent Jesus. And then secondly, that the world may know that God sent Jesus and loved him and loved his disciples. But those who promote denominationalism, and again, the point I'll make here, denominationalism isn't something that just keeps going by some random chance, but this is, a, this is advanced and encouraged and promoted. Those who promote the idea of denominations and the belief, of practice, uh, the belief in the practice of splitting and dividing Christianity into various religious factions mock the prayer of Jesus, the very one that they claim to be serving. Jesus prayed for unity, and they're saying it doesn't really matter. You can do what you want to do. Be saved in any kind of church. doesn't matter what you teach or how you worship, as long as you're, you're sincere. It's okay to have that. In fact, they celebrate all the denominational groups that exist today. So they make light of something that Jesus fervently prayed for. And they are, in essence, mocking Jesus and his prayer to his Father. Let me ask you a question before we go on to the next point. How do you feel when somebody mocks you and makes light of something that's very, very important to you? You don't like it. I don't like it. God the Father doesn't like it. And Jesus Christ doesn't like it either. In fact, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 7, the Bible says emphatically that God will not be mocked. But when people promote denominationalism, the idea of splintering into various religious groups and teaching conflicting doctrines, they're mocking Jesus. They're mocking the Savior of heaven and earth. He said, Father, I pray that they would be one, that they'd cling to the truth, sanctify them through your word. Uh, your word is truth. So Jesus prays fervently that his followers would be one, and the religious world basically mocks him. That's a scary thought. That's one of the consequences of, of denominationalism and what it does to Jesus Christ. It mocks his prayer for unity. The second thing I want to suggest to you that denominationalism is an expression of unbelief. Think about that for just a minute. I want to suggest a couple of thoughts here. It's an expression of unbelief, and it represents disrespect for the Word of God. Again, Jesus prayed for unity. We just read that in John chapter 17. The Apostle Paul commanded unity. Read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 13, when people were calling themselves after Paul or Apollos or Cephas. He said, don't do that. You're all one. We need to be united and, and stand on the truth together. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, Paul, the Apostle, listed uh, division as a work of the flesh, this idea of dissension and splint splintering into different groups. So God clearly expects us to be united. And so when the denominational person, a Christian, says that religious division is okay, or they say things like, well, you know, it's not even possible for us all to be one, again, that's an expression of unbelief and disbelief. They are expressing unbelief in God and disbelief in His Word. God said it's possible to be united, but we need to cling to the truth. And when they insist on uh, promoting denominationalism, 
they are expressing disbelief in God's word, who said that uh, that unity is possible and we need to reach uh, reach out in that direction. And so, our friends, family members who are involved in various religious denominations need to understand that this is a serious matter. So denominationalism, secondly, represents a lack of faith in God and disrespect and disbelief in the teachings of Jesus Christ. So the very book that we're all claiming to uphold, and these people no doubt are as well, uh, the reality is that if they really believe the Word of God, they would work harder at trying to be united and, and uh, clinging to the truth. So that's the second uh, thing that denominationalism does to Jesus Christ. A third point that I want to make this morning is to suggest to you that denominationalism also produces or causes unbelief. We looked in John chapter 17, and again, uh, there in verse 20, uh, he said, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, I in you, that they, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. That's the purpose of unity, is in clinging to the truth, so that the world will believe that Jesus sent, was sent by his Father and that we're all uh, uh, seeking to do his will. But in the world that we live in, much of the world doesn't believe in Jesus as God's anointed one. For this very reason, people will say, neighbors will say, people in various denominations will say, well, since there's so much disagreement and conflicting teachings about God and Jesus Christ, uh, many, many times people in the world, sometimes they're religious in their background, some of them are not. They're saying things like, how can you expect me to believe in one God when all these folks in religion can't even agree on basic Bible teachings? And that's, that's a valid point. So the point that I would make here uh, is that the concept of dividing into distinct religious groups who teach conflicting doctrines doesn't promote faith in God, it produces unbelief. And yet in our world that we live in, the denominational folks tend to rejoice in their uh, division and all the different uh, groups that are out there, thinking that somehow this glorifies God. The reality is it produces unbelief. And so, again, if, if people would think about what they're doing and teaching and promoting, that it should produce, produce a change in their lives and in their thinking. I want to suggest to you a fourth point this morning, again, about what denominationalism does to Jesus Christ. It really it makes him contradict himself. Again, if we stop and think about this, and if there's ever any tendency for us to say, well, you know, it really doesn't matter. There's so much confusion and division anyway. Why not just go in with all the denominations and let's just have some kind of superficial unity? Let's again look at the, the consequences of what denominationalism does. And what it does is it makes Jesus a God and a Lord who contradicts himself. Now, I wonder if you've ever stopped to, to think about the, con the uh, contradictory teachings of denominationalism. Let me just share some of these things with you. In one congregation, one denomination, they teach that babies are born in sin. In the congregation across the street on Franklin Road, babies are born, in born innocent in that congregation. That's what they teach. One congregation, babies must be baptized. That's a, I came out of the Catholic Church. That's what they did for me. You have to be baptized in order to be lost. That's what they teach. Another congregation, babies don't have to be baptized. That's what they can't be baptized. Does Jesus teach both of those things? I don't think so. One congregation, one denomination, is thinking of 40 is okay for baptism. 
In another congregation, another denomination, baptism must be by immersion only. You see that within the Baptist faith, they practice baptism by immersion. But in other churches, they uh, practice baptism by sprinkling. Does Jesus teach both of those things? Again, some churches, they teach that baptism isn't even necessary to be saved. They, they state that emphatically. If you ever wonder if people really believe that, they do read their writings. Yet, in other churches, even in some denominations, they do believe that baptism is essential for salvation. We teach that within the body of Christ, but there are some who actually teach that. And some congregations, some denominations, the canon of worship is okay, it's good, it's encouraged. And other congregations, it's not okay. It's, it's something that's in violation of God's will. So you can see this last thought down here. You can look at some conflicting teachings and denominations. Some churches teach that you're, you're predestined to be saved or lost. Before you're born into this world, you've been predestined to be saved or lost. In another denomination, no one is predestined to be saved or lost. Now, again, the question is, does Jesus teach both of these things? Does he teach conflicting doctrines? No. He doesn't do that. But that's what denominationalism presents. In this church, they get the one uh, set of beliefs. The church right across the street, they got a whole different set of beliefs. They're in total contradiction with each other. Jesus doesn't teach conflicting doctrines. He teaches the truth. That's, that's something that we can be united upon. And again, when you look at Scripture... And look at Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. This is what Paul said, Therefore I exhort you, exhort you, be imitators of me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, and he will remind you of my ways which are in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church. Does God want us to be united? Sure. But we unite on truth. We live in a culture, and this has to be reserved perhaps another lesson. Truth has been abandoned in the religious world. Truth is irrelevant, it is subjective, and it's almost meaningless in denomination. That's part of the problem. We unite based on truth, and the truth contained in Scripture. So far from being a good thing, denominationalism by its very nature makes Jesus contradict himself. And we know that that's not true. We can take that one step further and suggest to you that another consequence of denominationalism and what it does to Jesus Christ is it makes him a hypocrite in his teaching. Again, as with this previous point of Jesus embraces and endorses all of the inconsistent and contradictory teachings of denominationalism, then he is, in fact, a hypocrite in his teaching. Again, think about this. Would Jesus teach conflicting doctrines? Well, see, in one church, people claiming to follow Jesus... Uh, they teach that people are saved by faith only. You say the sinner's prayer, you're in God's book and his family, and you're saved from your sins. Again, another church, people are saved uh, by faith coupled with works of obedience. Does Jesus teach both those things? If he did, he's a hypocrite. He doesn't do that. Again, just picking on a couple of uh, samples here, so some thoughts to think about. In one church, or actually many churches, divorce. It's permitted for any reason. I came out of a church like that. Divorce is permitted for almost any reason imaginable. And they think that's all sanctioned by God. In another church, divorce and remarriage is only permitted on the basis of fornication. So does, does Jesus do both of these things? Does he teach conflicting doctrines? If he did, he would be a hypocrite. And Jesus is not a hypocrite. But that's what denominationalism does to Christ. It makes him a hypocrite. Who can believe that? 
Can anybody believe that? No. But that's what's being preached this morning in pulpits all across this country. All these conflicting uh, uh, doctrines that are in opposition to each other, they don't think about it. Oh, yeah, in our church, no, we can do whatever we want. We can worship this way or that way, and, and these issues of divorce or anything else are permitted. And another church that's not, again, the point that I make here is that Jesus is not a hypocrite. He wants us to teach the same thing. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, what he said to the Jews back in his day is something that we need to think as, as, as well today. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? See, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, if our friends and denominational churches are going to be followers of Jesus, then we all have to do what he says to do. We're not going to be perfect, and, I, and I'm not perfect, and you're not, a perf, you're not perfect, and I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. We all need his grace. But in the end, God expects us to be obedient to him. And he says that in another passage. Look at me with me at a passage in Matthew chapter 7 for just a moment. A passage that is familiar to most of us. But is very relevant or as relevant as any scripture I know. Matthew chapter 7, in verse 21, Jesus says to this crowd, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never do you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's a sobering thought to think about. That these people in Matthew chapter 7, these Jews that Jesus is speaking to, and any religious person... Uh, today, who has uh, abandoned basic Bible truth and has incorporated teaching from their manuals and creeds and disciplines, need to pay attention. Jesus is addressing people who clearly expect to be going to heaven and, and who think that they're doing his will. But he says in verse 23, I will declare to them, I never knew you. The, the problem was lawlessness or iniquity. I know that's not a kind of thing that we'd like to talk about perhaps as much as we should, but the reality is it's very important. And we need to understand, as I've suggested this morning, that denominationalism makes Jesus a hypocrite in his teaching. Not only that, I want to suggest to you that if denominationalism is true and right and good, that this way of thinking sets forth Jesus as someone who is unfair and unjust. Again, this is one of the consequences of denominationalism. We have to see what this type of teaching and, and belief and practice does to Jesus Christ. So again, it, it, uh, in this way of thinking, uh, in denominations, they are setting forth Jesus Christ uh, as someone who is unfair and unjust. Again, think about that uh, from a practical standpoint. We've looked at some of these examples. In one church that they're claiming to be worshiping God and following Jesus Christ, they're going to teach that you have to be baptized in water to be saved. And that's the requirement. Okay, they have to do that, re repent of their sins. In another church, <clears throat> God's going to save people who haven't been baptized or maybe who haven't repented of their sins. Is that fair? No. See, what, what God requires of me, he requires of you, and he re requires of all people. So again, uh, it, it sets forth Jesus Christ as someone who is unfair and unjust. Again, when you think about it, in one church, you know, the, the different teachings, they believe that Jesus Christ is coming back to the earth to reign 
In another church, Jesus is not going to reign on the earth. Uh, and so it's all the confusion that results from that and people uh, coming to some type of faith not, that's not even based on Scripture. Again, when you look at all these various teachings, it's a reminder of how, how detrimental denominationalism is to Jesus Christ. For example, in one church, uh, they don't even teach. Uh, they, they may teach that uh, the doctrine of hell is something that is true. In another church, they teach that uh, hell is not something that is true. And so, again, the, the reality is denominationalism by its nature sets forth Jesus as someone who is unfair and unjust because he requires of certain people certain things, and from other people he does not require the same thing. In Acts chapter 10, verses 34 and 35, Peter speaking here, opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand that God is not one to show partiality, <clears throat> but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. So we understand that Jesus is fair, that God is fair, and God is just, and he's not going to be partial. He doesn't have a plan of salvation for black people and a different plan of salvation for white people. His plan of salvation applies to all people. But the reality is, by its very nature, denominationalism sets forth Jesus Christ as unfair and unjust. A couple of the points to notice this morning about the, what denominationalism does to Christ. Uh, the seventh point, I've got one more. Uh, it makes Jesus Christ an incompetent Lord. Again, uh, denominationalism sets forth Jesus as somebody who is unable to reveal his Father's will in such a way that we can all understand and obey God's word alike. When you look at Scripture, God expects us to understand his will. Look with me in a passage in Ephesians chapter 3 for a moment. <clears throat> Several verses we could look at, but <clears throat> look at Ephesians chapter 3 with me this morning. And, <clears throat> excuse me, Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 4. Listen to what Paul says over here. He said, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation it was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. Then in verse 4 he says, By referring to this, when you read you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. So Paul says that this great mystery, the gospel that had been veiled for so many years in the past, was made known to him, and he is sharing that with his readers. And he said in verse 4, By referring to this, when you read you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. And so the point that I'm making over here is that denominationalism sets forth Jesus as one who's incompetent, that he could not reveal a will in such a, his Father's will in such a way that we all understand it and obey it alike. And again, that's something that people just don't think about, but that is one of the consequences of denominationalism. One other point that I want to make this morning, then we'll review the lesson. Again, it's a rather obvious point, but sometimes or somehow people don't see this, we need to understand that denominationalism makes Jesus Christ the author of confusion. And that is saying that if God endorses and approves of all the conflicting and contradictory and even all the false teachings in various denominational churches, then he is the God of confusion and responsible for all the confusion in the religious world today. When you look at Scripture, obviously we see a different picture. Look at a passage with me that you're probably familiar with in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And verse, verse 33, 
a, a, a biblical truth that we need to be reminded of. And speaking in the subject of spiritual gifts, that, that there's a, a principle here that Paul wants us to see in verse 33. He said, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So God is not a God of confusion. But denominational thinking makes people, uh, 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 in the denominational way of thinking, it, it confuses the mindset of people to the point that they don't know what to believe and oftentimes give up because of that very point. While we're talking about this, let me share a couple of quotations from some prominent religious leaders that I think are significant as we talk about this issue. Let me stand back here to look at this. This is from John Wesley. He is, in essence, uh, the founder of the Methodist Church. He and his brother, perhaps, Charles, was noted for his songwriting. But listen to what John Wesley says from whom the Methodist Church got a start. He said, Would to God that all party names and unscriptural phrases and forms which have divided the Christian world were forgot. That the very name, and I inserted Methodist there, that the very name Methodist might never be mentioned more, but be buried in eternal oblivion. This is not from some preacher in the Church of Christ. This is from John Wesley. And that's his conviction. Let's get do away with all these denominations, these names that divide us. He's not alone in that. Charles Spurgeon, a great leader in the Baptist Church, not the founder of it, but one of the, their great, they would consider him one of the, their forefathers, said this, I look forward to the day when there will not be a Baptist living. I hope that the Baptist name will soon perish to let Christ's name last forever. That's Charles Spurgeon. That's not me. That's, that's the same message I preach and that we preach here, right? But they don't preach that in those Baptist churches. They don't quote him like that. Again, another uh, character, Martin Luther, <coughs> I was looking up online last night, said this back in 1522. <coughs> he said, Let us abolish all party names and call ourselves Christians after him who is teaching you holy. I hold together with the universal church that the one or the one universal teaching of Christ, he is our only master. They're all saying the same thing. Let us do a side with all these denominational names because all they do is cause problems, they hurt, they divide, and they, they cause so much problem within uh, the world today. So let's, again, just review what we talked about this morning. What does denominationalism do to Jesus Christ? Again, this is a relevant lesson. I'm not here to offend anybody, but to speak the truth in love and hope of pointing you to Jesus Christ and, and encouraging you to, you to hold on to your faith and be part of God's kingdom, God's church, don't have to become part of any denomination. Well, denominationalism mocks Jesus' prayer for unity. It's an expression of unbelief. It produces unbelief. It makes Jesus contradict himself. It makes Jesus a hypocrite. It sets forth Jesus as unfair and unjust. It makes Jesus an incompetent Lord. And it makes Jesus the author of confusion. Who can believe that? Who would want to endorse that and follow that? Well, I hope that you'll think about the things that I've talked about this morning as we extend the invitation this morning. The question will be raised, what's the solution to all this? Well, the solution is just follow the Scriptures and let's practice simple, undenominational Christianity. Be Christians in God's church that go by the Bible only. And that's what we find in the Scriptures. When people heard the Gospel and they believed it, and were willing to repent of their sins, and kept, confessed their faith in Him, and were baptized, they were added to Jesus' church, the body of Christ. They were not part of any denomination. And that's the same thing that we preach today. You're here this morning, 
And you've been thinking about being a, becoming a part of God's kingdom. We urge you to do that by obeying the same gospel that was preached in the first century. Maybe that you've done that. Maybe you've strayed from the faith. Maybe you just need the prayers of the congregation. We all need each other. We all need the prayer and encouragement of each other. If you're here this morning in any way, we can encourage you. You might come forward while we stand and sing this invitation song.